Everybody says. Well, praise the Lord. In Psalm 78, the Lord goes through, uh, beginning in verse number one, he says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now, we'll stop right there for a second and, and the Lord here is saying that we're supposed to come unto him and listen to him. And he said he'll utter dark things of old. Now, the, the dark things of old there doesn't mean that it's things that uh, nobody knew or something like that. It's what they had forgotten. How many of you know that there's times in our life that we learn things, but we move away from it and we forget it? And God was just kind of sticking that to them. He was saying, you're supposed to have known these things, but because you've walked away from me, it's become dark to you. It's something that is foreign to you now. It's sometimes we get out of the habit of honoring God. We get out of the habit of worshiping God or out of the habit of praying, reading the Bible. And then we begin to forget things that we once knew. And the Lord is saying that, that that's what he's talking about. And that's what he was talking about to this generation. Now, this psalm is written to one generation to give to the next. When it comes to fatherhood, we know that fathers are raised up to give from one generation to the next. We're all here uh, because of uh, heterosexual men. We're all, we all have fathers. Amen. We're here because uh, God raised up each person through a family unit, a mother and a father. And, and the fathers pass on that generation from one to the next. Well, when it comes to the things of God, there's oftentimes a, a gap. There's oftentimes a generation that will drop the baton. There's oftentimes a generation that will, will, will relax their grip on the holy and hot pursuit of God. And as they do, the things that were once familiar to the people of God now are dark to them. There's something that once was a, a, on the... On the uh, on the tip of their tongue and in their breath, it was their very next thought now has become something that they have to stutter and stammer through because they're no longer where they once were. They're no longer walking in the light of God. Now the things of God have become a little bit darker than they once were. Amen? Do you know a time in your life where things were like that for you? A time in your life where things, uh, the things of God... Uh, we're just a little bit darker uh, than they are now. Amen? These things are a little bit darker. But there's times in our life that we walk away from God and we begin to forget those things about God. It, they just become a little bit darker. And so that's what the Lord's saying here. Now let's pick this up. In verse number 3, he said, which, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Now this I want you to listen to, but I'm just going back up uh, in, in just a minute, but listen to this part right here. Verse number six, he said that the generation to come might know them the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments 
and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So if you notice, if you go back up into this psalm, there's a couple of things that he says that we're going to pull out of and move forward. Number one, God is looking at each generation to hand the next generation the word of God, to hand each generation the law of God, to hand each generation the way to walk before God, the way to praise God, the way to honor God, the way to live for God, and the way to God. God gives each generation that holy duty to hand down to the next generation how you're supposed to do this. This is one of the, 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 the key things that we miss in our lives is we all the time are always worried about how we can get more blessing in our own house and how we can get more stuff and how we can get more, more this and more that. But God is holding each generation accountable for the things sown into you that you'll turn around and sow them into the next generation. This next generation coming up is coming up into a world that is not like the one that we grew up in this next generation is in a place and time where truth is not is not straight down the middle it's not black and white but truth is what they call relative it is according to the temperature of the room will determine the truth that they want it to be but we know that with God, it's a little bit different. God's word never changes. God never changes. His truth never changes. The way that he saves somebody never changes. His way never changes. And what he expects out of each generation, that never changes too. God says here in this word, in verse number four, he said that we're not supposed to hide from their children. How sad is it that God looks at it if we don't pour into the next generation? He looks at it like we are hiding from them the truth. How sad would it be for your kid to never know how to tie their shoes because you hid that knowledge from them? How sad would it be for your child to never know how to walk because you always kept them in a crib and you hid that knowledge from them? How sad would it be for you to withhold key information from your children so that they couldn't become a productive member of society? And God looks at it the same way through each generation in the church. He sees us as seed that's been sown. And He sees how we've grown. And He expects us to sow that same seed back into the lives of the next generation. Some of us have withheld that information. Some of us have withheld that grace that was once given to us. Some of us have withheld that grace that we once were given. Some, some of us are judgmental. Some of us are, 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 are too loose with the standard of God. Some of us are too relaxed in our prayer life. Some of us are too relaxed in our study and pursuit of God. And what we're handing down to the next generation, God holds us accountable for. Now, God will intervene in each generation, but He expects. He expects the generation above it to hand down the right way to the generation after it. He said that these three things, he said that we're supposed to show to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Amen? 
Do you know that we're supposed to praise the Lord in the good times and in the bad times? We're supposed to praise God through the storm, amen? We're not supposed to just praise the God, praise God on the day that we get a raise. We're supposed to praise God on the day that we lose our job. You know why? Because our resource doesn't come from man. Our resource comes from God. Whether we have a job or not, God's going to take care of his children. He's not a derelict father. He hasn't run out of money. He's not scrounging around for anything. If you need it, God will make sure to supply it to his children. But sometimes we forget that and we begin, to, we begin to look toward men the way that we're supposed to look toward God. And how sad is it when we not only are withholding from the next generation the truth that we once had, but we're actually giving them a false religion. We're actually giving them a false reality. As we begin to put our hopes in men, we begin to put our hopes in the wrong thing. If you begin to put your hope on a man, you're hoping in sinking ground. But if you put your hope in Jesus, how many of you know, that's the rock that will never sink. He's the rock of ages. He's the rock that will never let you down. He's the rock that will never be overcome. But he is the rock that you can stand on. And you'll never, you'll never regret a day of walking with Jesus. You'll never regret a day of walking with Jesus. But there is regret if you don't. There is plenty of regret if you don't walk with Jesus. There's a lot of times the devil doesn't tell you about that. A lot of times the devil just wants you to compromise a little here and a little there. If he can get you to slack off here and get you to back off there, he'll get you to begin to turn back here and he'll get you to begin to shut your Bible. He'll begin to get you to shut the prayer closet. Then you'll begin to shut yourself out of the church. Then you'll begin to turn off the worship music and then you'll wonder, where is God? He hasn't left. You did. God's still there. The rock of ages still stands. And if you'll come back to him, he'll bring you back where you once were. And this is what God is trying to get to this church. Is he's saying, look, we're supposed to show the next generation how to worship God. We're supposed to show them the way to God. How to honor God with our lives. Amen? He said that we're supposed to show the praises of the Lord, His strength, and the wonderful works that He has done. That's all right there in Psalm 78, verse number 4. You can mark that out. Those three things we're supposed to declare from each generation to each generation. How to worship God, how strong and mighty our God is, and all the wonderful things that God has done. You know, it's good to sit around the coffee table and talk about the weather, but it's better to sit around the coffee table and talk about how good God has been. You see, your children, your children will pick up more in those times. It's, it's not a formal Bible lesson. What it is, it's reality. It's when your cup is overflowing because you've been to the throne of God. You've gone to Jesus and the river of water is beginning to flow through your life. And as you begin to honor God in every season, in every time, through the good times and the bad times, see the child will see their parents sit at a coffee table and begin to panic and begin to fret. But then another child will see another parent say, I don't know how 
we're going to make it through this, but I'm, I know this, I'm going to hold on to God because I know if I hold on to Him, He'll pull me through. I don't know the answers, but I know who to go to. And you see, you, you, will, you will teach the next generation more through the reality, showing who you are and showing how big your God is and showing where your faith rests. In those testimony times, like I said, you'll teach the next generation more than any formal Bible lesson. They'll see the reality. They'll see the substance. They'll see that God is real to you, that it's not just information out of a book, but it has become revelation because you put your soul on that rock. You put your heart on that rock. You put your life on that rock. And you threw away the key. You held on to the Lord and you let go of the world. And you got a testimony to shout about. That's what God's looking for in our lives. Now, I want you to know this. Now, I'm talking about from one generation to the next. And, and you may be here and you may, not, you may say, this doesn't, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a parent. I don't have children. Well, you know what? Paul didn't get that memo because he took Timothy to be his child even though Paul didn't have any children. You may not have physical children, but you still have the same charge. You still have people in your church or in your community or people that you're around that you should take under your wing, mentor them, show them the way to honor God, to praise God, show them how big your God is, show them how strong God is, and tell them about all the good things that God has done for you. That's your charge. That's your charge. God has charged the generation. He didn't just whisper it. He charged the generation to tell the next generation how good and how great and how mighty our God is. See, we sing that song, Mighty is our God. Mighty is our God. But you know, it's different whenever it comes to reality. When you get the bill in the mail or you get the, you get the doctor's report you don't want to get or you get an answer from a loved one. You get a Dear John letter from a man that you thought was going to love you forever. You find yourself in a hospital, beaten up. You, you find yourself on the wrong end of the whooping stick. I want you to know this. God has not left you. God has not forsaken you. But God will meet you right where you're at. And he will breathe new life in you. He will put a new purpose in you. He will preserve you. He will purify you. And guess what? He will use you in an awesome way if you'll just trust him. If you'll put your life back on that rock of ages. That rock that never falls. That rock that never sinks. That rock that withholds through every tempest, every storm, every hurricane, every flood, every night season. God never changes. And if you'll throw your life upon Him, He won't let you down. He's never let one of his children down. And if you'll trust him today, he won't let you down. He is good. He is God. And he is mighty today. You know that he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't get weak. You can't say, well, that's for the last generation. That's not for this generation. Guess what? God don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if there was ever a generation that could hold on to God in trying times, 
you can too. If there was ever a generation that had to look at a bare cupboard and trust God that they would be able to make it through, you can too. If there was ever an individual that was sick and on the hospital bed and trusted God for a healing, I want you to know God will touch you too. See, God doesn't change. He doesn't change. He's waiting on a generation to rise up and take him at his word. Believe what he has said. Put your soul back on that rock of ages and watch what God won't do for you. God is mighty and he's good and he'll come through for you. Now we see here in this passage that there's two things that he begins to unfold in. There's two things. One is a generation. Look, look right here, he says in verse number, in verse number six. It, in verse five, he said, I want you to, to let the next generation to know. In verse number six, he says that the generation to come might know them. That's the ways of God. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that's the grandchildren, that they might set, listen to this, that they might set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. What is, the, what is the result that God's looking for? He's looking for a generation that'll set their heart on him. He's looking for a generation that'll stop hoping in politicians. He's looking for a generation that'll stop hoping in money and popularity. He's looking for a generation that will stop hoping in the things and the ways of men and will come back to him and set their heart upon him and put their heart in his hand and put their life on the rock of ages. He's looking for a generation that will set their heart on him again. He's not looking for us to take up an offering today. He's not looking for us to build a building today. He's not looking for us to click our heels and, and tap three times. He's not looking for that. You know what he's looking for? He's looking to see if your heart will get set on him again. And if you'll set your heart on him again, he'll set his heart on you. He'll set his blessing upon you. He'll set a new purpose and a new plan in your life. And he'll pour out upon you a new spirit. He'll pour out upon you a new spirit. See, God is good. God is good. He doesn't just give you the direction, but he gives you the steam for the engine as well. He doesn't just tell you where to go, but he'll give you the power to get there too. All you've got to do is just set your heart on him. He'll, do, he'll give you and supply your every need. He's, look, he's not just talking about milk and bread. Come on. We serve a bigger God than milk and bread. When he says that he'll supply your every need, he'll supply your every need. If you're in a place where you can't pray, pray for the power to pray. If you're in a place where you can't lift your hands in worship, pray for the power to lift your hands in worship. If you're in a place where you can't study the Word of God, pray for the power to study the Word of God. God, look, God, we don't serve God just because He gives us milk and bread. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's the God of all creation. He's the God of all ages. He's the everlasting God, the Prince of Princes. Amen? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he's been given a name above every name that at his name, every, listen to this, every knee will bow, 
and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He's been given that supreme name that at His name, every knee will bow. So what is it that He can't fix? What is it that He can't supply? What is it that He can't sustain? What is it that He can't do? Because He don't know about it. Because He's God. He's got a name above every name. There's no name above Him. Listen to me. Cancer is not above His name. Sorrow is not above His name. Depression is not above His name. Lack is not above His name. Politics are not above His name. Amen? God is supreme. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. How glorious will the day be when there's no more death and no more dying, no more sickness, no more sorrow, and he wipes the tear from every eye. How glorious will that day be when he tells the son, it's time to retire, I'm taking over, because the glory of the king is going to outshine the sun, and we're going to bask in his presence, and we're going to worship at his feet, and we're going to sing round that glassy throne, worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the the world hallelujah how good is our God he is mighty he is awesome and he loves you today he wants you to set your heart upon him today he wants you to renew your faith today he wants you to renew your purpose today and he wants you to come back to that cross and set your heart where it's supposed to be he wants you to come back to that cross and set your heart where it's supposed to be. Your heart doesn't belong to a man. Your heart doesn't belong to a woman. Look, you can't love nobody else until you know how to love God. And you can't love God till you know that he loves you. Know that order. We don't love God first. The Bible says that he loved us first. He loved us first. So you got to know and understand that he loves you. And before you can love somebody else, you got to know how to love God back. You got to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Only at that point in time can you properly love another person. But I want you to know before you even get to that step, before you even get to loving another person, you got to be filled with the love of God yourself. you got to know God doesn't expect you to love him first. The Bible says that he loved us first. We love him because he first loved us is what the Bible says. You need to know that God loves you. You need to hold that fact that God loves you. And you need to let that begin to change your heart and change your mind and do a work that only the Spirit of God can do. Then you can love God back. Then you'll begin to give your heart to God. But you need to know God loves you. And you'll, like I said, you'll never be able to love somebody else until you know how to love God. Amen. Don't mix up the order. This generation, they done mixed it up. They try to find love, as the, the saying goes, in all the wrong places. They looking for love in this one, and they looking for love in that one. But all love is not love, honey. All love is not love. Love comes from God because God is love. God shows us what love is. He shows us how to love. He defines love. He is love. And we cannot love outside those bounds. Now here we see something important in this next verse. It says, God's desire is that we set our, our, our heart on God, that we set our hope in God. Look at this next verse, verse 8. 
that we might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Now, I want to comment on this for just a second, then we're going to go to another passage, but I want you to see something. It doesn't say that this wicked generation or this evil generation, however you want to say it, it doesn't say that they set their heart on the devil. It doesn't say that they set their heart on evil. It doesn't say that they set their heart out on wicked things. What does it say? Look what it says. It says that they set not their heart aright. In other words, the same way as you walk through a forest. If you, if you follow in a compass and it's about two degrees off, guess what? You're going to be lost. You, you might be kind of going north, but if you're only kind of going north, you ain't going north. Kind of north and north ain't the same thing. And kind of godly and being godly is not the same thing. Kind of religious and having God is not the same thing. Being around God and knowing God is not the same thing. You see, you, you, you can teach. Listen to me. You can teach somebody that's not been saved, not been born again, not been filled with the Spirit. You can teach them how to sit on a pew. You can teach them when to stand. You can teach them when to open their mouth. You can tell them, clap your hands, stomp your feet, turn around, repeat after me. You can teach any unsaved person to do religious things, but you can't teach somebody how to love God until they know that God loves them, and they don't know God loves them until they see Jesus on the cross bearing our sin, our sorrow, and our shame. He, listen, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, I want you to know this. God loves you, and he's called you to set your heart back on that cross. Set your heart back on what Jesus did for you. Look, he did it for everybody, but you need to know he did it for you. That the sin that was against you was holding you back, was holding you in bondage, was holding you away from God, but God loved you so much. God loved you so much, he showed you his love. And that while you were still a sinner, Jesus went to the cross. While you were still an enemy, he had you on his heart. While you were still antagonistic to the things of God, in your sin, in your rebellion, in your depression, God loved you, he sought you, and he bought you with his own blood as he let it flow down Calvary's hill. He bled for you. He bought you with his own precious blood. And he's calling you to put your faith in that again. So it says that they didn't set their heart aright. I want you to know that you, 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 you can set your heart on religious things and not have God. Now I know you just need to know that. God's not looking for you to put $20 in the offering plate, clap your hands, stomp your feet, turn around, and repeat after me. He's not looking for that. He's looking for your soul. You see, the, the nation of Israel, when they were stuck in bondage, and you know what it's like to be stuck in bondage. I know what it's like to be stuck in bondage. I've been stuck in my sin. I've been stuck in my sin so bad. I was stuck in drunkenness. I was stuck in darkness. 
And, 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 and God knows when we're in bondage. And He saw His children in bondage in Israel. And He told them, if you would apply the blood of the Lamb over your doorposts, I'll pass you over. In other words, His goodness, His grace, and His kindness will be shown to you if you'll just simply apply the blood. And it's the same way today. God doesn't change. It was a type, it was a foreshadow of the truth and the reality of Calvary. That if you would apply the blood of Calvary to your soul, if you would apply the blood of the Lamb to your soul, that God would show kindness to you. That God would show His grace to you. That God would show His goodness to you. Now here we see something important. They didn't set their heart aright. I want to ask you, is your heart set aright? Is your heart set on religious acts because God's not interested? We, 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 you know, our generation, is, they used to have the prosperity gospel. It's kind of panned out a little bit, but used to have the prosperity gospel. But you know what? God doesn't need your money. He owns everything. Everything belongs to Him. Everything that we have is on loan. You got a house, guess what? After you die, the government's got it. I mean, everything that we own, is, is, it's on loan. And our breath is on loan. The things that we have are on loan. God owns it all. God's not interested in, 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 in the things that we bring. He's interested in our heart being set right. The devil, from the beginning, he manipulated the Word of God, he manipulated the people of God, and he seeks to move your heart ever so slightly off the cross, ever so slightly off of Jesus, to get you to put your heart on what you've done for God, what you've done for the church, what you've done for God's people, how you've done, how you've been, instead of what God's done, instead of where God went, instead of what Jesus did at the cross. Where we first saw the lights. Now look here. This is very important. It says in this next part, it says that their heart was not aright. They didn't set their heart aright. And it says whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Well, you know what that is? That's a fickle person. I'll do what I want. I'll go when I need to go. I'll do what I need to do when I need to do it. I'll pray when I get around to it. I'll get with God when I get around to it. I'll honor God when I get around to it. In other words, there's sometimes in our own lives, and if we're all honest, it, it, everybody could probably testify times that it was like that. In the good times, it's easy to go to the house of the Lord and shout hallelujah. But I want you to know God's ever still worthy of our hallelujah, even in the valley, even in the dark times, even in the hard times, even in sickness, even in pain, even when we've been in places of sorrow, even when we've been in places where our hearts been ripped out, even in places where our dreams have been crushed and our lives have been turned upside down. Maybe you've been in a place where you've walked away from God and you feel the shame and you feel bad about it but I want you to know this I want you to know this that if you'll come back to that place of the rock of ages he'll welcome you back he'll he'll redeem you he'll restore you and he'll breathe new life in you today his goodness listen his goodness is available today the Bible says that his mercies are new not some mornings 
not just for pastor's mornings, not just for good church folks' mornings. It says that his mercies are new every morning. Grab hold of that mercy. This is the day of salvation. Grab hold of that mercy. Let God do a new thing in you today. Grab hold of that mercy. Let God turn you around. And you'll see a new you'll see with a new purpose. Now, the, the thing that I want you to see here is that from one generation to the next, God expects us to pour into other people's lives. God expects you to take somebody under your wing and say, look, watch, this is what you're supposed to do. Now, don't do this because I did this one time and I almost didn't make it back. God wants you to begin to pour into other people's lives. If you're a father, pour into your children's lives. You need to know this. Statistics say over 90% of the time, if a father will faithfully serve God and take his children to church, the children will serve God too. Over 90% of the time. Do you know that if it's, if it's not the man taking the child to church, it drops to 17%. Drops to 17%. And that's when you have to depend on God. Because God loves every one of them. He loves all 100% of them. And if you'll stand in the gap and intercede for your child, God will move mountains. God will move mountains. But we have to get to that place where we take this next generation back to the cross where their hopes are not in men, where their hopes are not in methods, where their hopes are not in politicians or financial institutions, where their hopes come back to Calvary to know beyond a shadow of a doubt who the rock of ages truly is. And it's not your daddy, your granddaddy, your pastor, your preacher, your evangelist. It's not your banker. It's not the guy that holds your mortgage. It's not your boss. It's not the president. It's not the speaker of the house. It's not any of those people. The rock of ages is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who is alive today at the right hand of the Father. Now let me show you something. If you'll turn with me uh, back into Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30 real quick. A couple of things that I want you to see about fathers as you turn there. And when I mean fathers in this, in this instance, I, I mean anybody that's, that's leading someone else. Do you know that, that, that as a parent, as a parent even, that your actions can nullify your words. You can say till the cows come home, look, don't do what I do, do what I say. You can say that till the cows come home, but you know what? Your actions nullify your words. Your words, listen, your words are nothing compared to your actions. If you tell a kid that they need to honor God, but you don't honor God, guess what? You've just told them God is nothing. If you tell a kid that they need to serve God, love God, trust God, but you don't serve God, love God, and trust God, guess what? You've just told them that God doesn't really mean that much to you. But if you'll hold on to God through the storm, 
If you'll hold on to God through the hurricanes of life, if you'll hold on to God when it don't make sense, if you'll hold on to God when everybody else tells you to quit, if you'll hold on to God when every fiber of your flesh tells you to stop, if you'll hold on to God because there's something that you see in the Word of God that the Spirit of God has made alive in your soul, and if you'll hold on to God through thick and through thin, through hard times and good times, through every season of life. If you'll do that, you'll plant more. You'll plant more in the next generation than a thousand sermons ever would. They'll see through your actions who you trust. They'll see through your actions who you love. They'll see through your action who the strength of your life is. Now we have an obligation to the next generation to tell them the reality of the matter, that if they love God, that God, God will not only they'll receive God's love, but they'll also receive the blessings of God. But if you, you know as well as I do that when you begin to walk away from God, you open yourself up to every demon, every devil, every dark thing. When you begin to walk away and rebel against God, you begin to walk outside of His umbrella of protection. You begin to walk outside of the house of God. You begin to walk outside of His counsel, of His wisdom, of His guidance, of His nurture, of His comfort of his blessing well it's no different for the nation of Israel as they came out of Egypt God God charged them the same way before they went into the promised land they got the same charge that we have today look what it says in in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse number 19 Moses he said I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Now, I want you to see something. The way that you serve God, the way that you love God, the way that you follow God, in other words, whether you set your heart on God or not, will determine whether your life is blessed or cursed. There is no kind of this and kind of that with God. God in this passage, He didn't say, look, if you don't follow me, it'll kind of go good with you and you'll have a few bad times too. He didn't also say, if you follow me, then you'll be cursed. He didn't say that. You see, a lot of times, this generation especially, they don't like the hard fundamental truths of God. They don't like the brass tacks. They don't like the reality of the matter. But I want you to see that with God, there is no lukewarm place to be. If we get into that place where we're lukewarm, the Bible says we're a candidate to follow Jonah and being spewed out, not of a well, but out of the mouth of God. You see, the lukewarm place is no place God wants us to be. He wants us to be hot or cold. He wants us to be all in all for God or all in all for the devil. But look, only the devil would lie to you and make you think that you can live a blessed life and not have your heart set on God. And that's what this generation wants. And that's why it's incumbent upon us to show this generation, no, 
This is how you do it. You set your heart on God. You serve God. And you bring your issues to God. Even through the pain, you worship God. Even when you don't have the answers, you trust God. And when you don't know how to pray, you just keep praying through to God. When you don't have that answer yet, you keep coming back to God. And you hold on. And you press through. And you believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is faithful and He's true in His Word. He will not fail it. He will not fail to preserve it. He will not fail to uphold it. And if He's done it for one, He'll do it for you. So we see here that this next generation, they want, they want to be blessed, but they don't want to have their heart set on God. You see that today? You see, but listen, God's not going to be mocked. If God never let one generation do it, He's not going to let this generation do it. Look, it may be 2021. We may be Americans. We may think that we're all that and a bag of chips, but we're not. God, I just said it a while ago, God's no respecter of persons. He doesn't love us any more than He's loved any of His children. And whatever He's done for one, He'll do for another. But he will not allow, he will not allow a generation to receive his blessing and not have their hearts set on him. But this generation thinks that that's the case. They think all love is love. They think, they think it doesn't matter what they do. But this is not true. Look what he says here. He said that, that he set before them blessing and cursing. I want you to see this, though. He said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore, choose life. God doesn't only give you, do you want door one or door two? He says, do you want door one or door two? But let me tell you which one you need to pick. God's desire is not that you perish. God does not delight in, 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 in withholding His blessing and His peace and His presence from your life. God delights it. When his children worship him, God loves it when you trust him. God loves it when you would just simply hold on and believe through the storm. You know, it said that David, David had a heart after God. He failed God many times, and I don't know any person that's never not failed God, at least once. But David failed God too. But you know what he did? He didn't let it hold him back from getting back to that place where his heart was set right. He didn't say, well, I can't honor God anymore. I guess I'll just go back to playing cards. I can't honor God anymore. I'll just go back to the woods. I'll just go back to that place where I used to be. No, he took his issue. He acknowledged it before God. And the way that we correlate that, we take our issue to the altar. We take that issue to the throne of God, to the cross of Jesus. And we say, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I'm sorry for it. I do not want this in my life life and we repent and God says that he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all our iniquities God is faithful when you call on the name of Jesus to apply the blood to your account there's not one sin that you've ever committed that God says I'm not touching that if there's breath in your body I want you to know God's after your soul God wants you to be clean. God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be His. 
There's not one murder or abortion or homosexual act or act of thievery or act of anger. There's not one act of drunkenness or one drug use that God says that He's done with you. No, God wants to save you. God wants to give you a new life. God wants to redeem you from destruction. God wants to set you on a different path. God wants to give you a new name and a new future and a new inheritance and a new spirit. God wants to save your soul. God is not willing. Listen, God is not willing that any would perish. His desire is not to push you away. His desire is to bring you in. And He brings you in through Jesus Christ. He brings you in through the blood of the Lamb. There's no other door. There's no other way. Jesus said He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God does not want to push you away. He wants to bring you in. But you've got to come through the blood. You've got to come through the Lamb. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is God manifest in the flesh, that He lived a holy life for you and for me, and that He fulfilled the law, and He was nailed to the cross of Calvary, sinless and spotless and blameless, and He bled and He died for our sins. And on the third day, he rose from the grave that's the gospel my friends that's the gospel and he's alive today if you, and, and, and you know that Philippian jailer he ran in he was about to kill himself because uh, uh, oh, Paul and Silas they got the jailhouse rocking and they began to worship God in the midnight hour and when the prison doors flung open that, that Philippian jailer was about to kill himself because he knew his life was over Paul said, don't hurt yourself. We're here. Next response, sir, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer, it was not, here's my offering bucket. Paul's answer was not, here's my offering bucket. Here's my DVD. Here's my t-shirt. Here's my seminar. Here's my denomination you need to sign up for. Here's my political party. Here, hey, let me out of this jail. That was not his answer. His answer, Jesus. What must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou and thine house shall be saved. And that man believed and that man got saved and that man's whole house came to the Lord. Now you see, there's, there, there is no in the middle there. There's no, there, there's, no, uh, there's no lukewarm thing there. There's no gray area there. It's either blessed or cursed. It's saved or lost. It's either, it's either redeemed or it's on its way to destruction. And God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Let me show you one thing as we come to a close. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to close this message in this verse right here. It's just an awesome passage. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You should highlight them. They should be highlighted in your Bible. I want you to know that the greatest legacy that you can give the next generation is not a car. It's not a 401k. It's not a house. The greatest legacy that you can give the next generation is not a, 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 a piece of land. This is my granddaddy's. The greatest legacy you can give the next generation is a heart that burns for God. A heart that's set on God. 
Let them know when they talk about granddaddy, they talk about grandma, that they know that woman loved God. That woman got a touch from God. That woman grabbed hold of God and she wasn't letting go. She got a touch from God and she was never the same. Let that be the legacy of your life. Way more important than any piece of land or piece of property or or 401k or car or anything else. See, God, whenever God told the, 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 the... the nation of Israel back there, he didn't say from one generation to the next, make sure that you give them your property. Make sure that you give them a a horse. He didn't say you're going to be evil if you don't give your children a horse when you die. No. What were they supposed to give? The mandate, the charge to have your heart set on Jehovah. That's the mandate. Let that be your legacy. Let that, let that be the legacy of your life. And you may say, well, pastor, I don't have children. There's people around you watching you. If you don't think so, just mess up and you'll hear all kinds of people talking smack. In fact, if you begin to serve God and you begin to live a holy life, they'll even talk smack then too. You, you begin to not go there and not do that. Look, I've I never been to a place like that when, in my life when, whenever I first got saved and I was, I was walking with God and people at work would begin to tell the dirty jokes and I would walk away before they could even, I, I knew where it was going and I would begin to walk away. Boy, you talk about stirring up the devil. You walk away from somebody telling a dirty joke and watch what the devil won't flare up because the devil, listen, misery loves company. Darkness loves to bring other people down into the depths of the darkness with it and when you turn around and you live a holy life and you are steadfast for God you'll have to withstand but I want you to know God will strengthen you God will give you the ability God will give you that anointing to 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 withstand the ridicule and the mocking and the scorn of the world and look if Jesus had to withstand it you do too you do too all right let's get into this Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 It says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. Hold on. Let us lay aside. What have you laid aside for Jesus? Well, my preacher never told me about that, Brother Kenny. Well, it's right here in the Word of God. You don't get a discount because your preacher didn't tell you. Everybody, look, the, the, the King James Bible is number one best-selling book of all time. There was a day and an hour when this book was illegal, but it's not today. It may be tomorrow, but it's not today. But the Word of God never changes, and God has given His Word to you. And here, I want you to see that we are called to lay aside something. What is it? Wait. Lay aside every weight, every weight and the sin which does so easily beset you. You know what a besetting sin is? It's like your shoelaces that are untied. Try to run with untied shoelaces. You're going to trip and fall. And a besetting sin is something that you know is wrong. You know God don't like it, but you're not ready to deal with it. That's a besetting sin. And listen, it's keeping you back from running full force. It's keeping you back from following God with all your heart. A besetting sin will trip you up when you begin to sprint. 
So the besetting sin is those things that we know about and we don't tell anybody about. You try to run full force with your shoelaces undone, you're not going to get very far. Most of the time if somebody's shoelaces are not tied, they just kind of jog a little bit. They say, I can't go too fast. Don't you see my shoes are untied? That's what a besetting sin is. A besetting sin is that issue, that thing that we haven't released to God, that we haven't pled the blood of Jesus over, that we haven't given to God and gotten freedom and victory over yet. But I want you to know there's not one sin that God cannot defeat, that God cannot overcome. I don't care. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's drug use or pornography use or alcohol use. I don't care if you've got through so many issues that you don't know which issue to bring. I want you to know God's greater than the issue. One, one, one of my pastors said one time, sometimes you just got to know the issue is you. Sometimes it's not about bringing an issue to the altar. It's about bringing your own self. Just lay yourself on that altar and say, God, here's my issue. Here's my issue. It's me. It's all me. Well, that's the place that God wants us to be. He says right here to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That's the race. Following God, setting your heart on God. Looking, this last verse, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Not looking to other people. Not looking for people to validate your feelings. Not looking for your political party to win again. Not looking for this, that, or the other. We're called to look to Jesus. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who, listen to this, for the joy set before him. For the joy that was set before him. I want you to know this. God's not asking you to do something that he didn't do. He's telling you to set your heart aright. He's telling you to set your heart on him. He's telling you to tell the next generation to set their heart on God. He's telling you to set it on him. But he's showing you right here that Jesus set his heart on you first. For the joy that was set before him, that was you. That was your soul. That was your only hope of escaping hell. Your only hope of seeing a loved one in heaven. Your only hope of seeing a loved one in heaven. Your only hope of escaping hell. Your only hope of worshiping around the throne. Brought him joy to purchase your soul. It says, for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what God did for you. He set his heart on you. He despised the shame of the cross, but he loved you more than he hated it. He loved you more than he hated it. Now, if you'll ever do a Bible study on the holiness of God, and you begin to contrast that with sin, you'll just get a glimpse of how much he hated the cross. But he loved you more than he hated that. And he bought your soul at Calvary. And he's calling you to come home. He's calling you to come back to the cross. He's calling you to come back to that place of first getting your heart set right on him. And secondly, giving that as a heritage to the generation under you, to the generation around you, to the people around you, to those 
that don't know any better. God's charging you today. Will you accept him at that charge? Lord, we bless you this morning, and we thank you, Father, for the ministry of the Spirit today. Thank you, Lord, for stirring the bride of Christ and stirring up the church today. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be set upon you, that the direction of our lives would come back to that place where we can be made whole at your feet.